Welcome to a very special episode of the Rebel Entrepreneur Coaching Series. I don't know if you knew this, but Andrew is on his path towards financial independence. And I happen to be in Longmont, Colorado, staying with Mr. Money Mustache. So he is gatecrashing our podcast today. So enjoy this very special episode focused on financial independence. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. So welcome to a very special episode of The Rebel Entrepreneur Coaching Series. We have with me, as always, Andrew Alinda. Welcome back to the show. Callie, to the crowd, how are you? I am doing very good. All the better of hearing your voice, Alan. Oh, it's nice to see you too. You always flatter me. And we have a very, very special guest for the show. So we're going to be talking less about business today and more about FI stuff. We have Mr. Money Mustache. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you, Alan and Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) So Mr. Money Mustache, Pete, has not listened to the preceding episode. So Andrew, tell us a little bit about your business and where you are, because you're on your FI journey. You're on the path as well at the moment. Yeah. So Pete, catching you up. Alan has essentially been my punch in the face, as you (laughs) so eloquently put it. Um, When it comes down to starting up businesses, understanding how that process works, talking to people, basically getting your face out there, maybe getting slapped down a couple of times, but ultimately still pushing forward and trying new things. That's been pretty much what this whole coaching series has been about. I have a YouTube channel that now makes me a little bit of money. So that's the side hustle bit. And what we're keen to, and I imagine to pick your brain on today, Pete, is the FI element. So getting closer to that Valhalla of <laughs> living on, on your investments, really. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. I might, might have some answers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Who knows? So uh, where are you on your FI journey, Andrew? How long have you been going? When did you find out about it? Yeah, so a little bit of context. I came out of my undergrad knowing absolutely nothing about what I wanted to do next. So I did what everybody else does. And I was like, yeah, I'll do a master's. I'll do a postgrad because I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I ended up taking out a whole load of debt. That Uh put me in a really bad place when I first came out of uni. I was stressed about money. So I did the only thing I could do. And I went to the source of all information, Google. And that's when I stumbled across the FI community. And I was like, oh, well, this is obvious. Why didn't I think of this before? Why was I spending my money frivolously? The little money I did have, I was spending it like it was on tap and would never stop flowing. And when I first came across the FI community, that was a real slap in the face for me because I just couldn't fathom. I I fancy myself quite an intelligent person and I couldn't fathom how I can think (laughs) that this was possible. And I was in debt, so I was paying interest. So I understood the concept of interest. I just didn't understand the concept of it working in reverse for all intents and purposes. 
So over the next three years, I paid off that debt. That debt went away. And then I kind of thought, oh, well, what next? And it wasn't long after that when I stumbled across Mr. Money Mustache and your blog, Pete. And that was a absolute life changer for me. I started throwing the kitchen sink at Vanguard. I, <laughs> over the last, so I started investing in 2016. And I'd say I'm about a quarter of the way to FI right now. Wow, that's pretty fast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't mess around once I started reading it. And it's one of those where I'm in a place now where I'm leaning on the advantages that it kind of gives you along the way, the sort of confidence that it brings you. I certainly feel that my career has been improved by the fact that I'm pushing towards this. I feel I'm a better employee. I feel I can do this whole YouTube thing with a, with a little bit more confidence as well, but kind of as a really quick whistle-stop tour of my FI life, that's pretty much where I've got to now. Oh, and I should caveat it by saying I really should have started with this. My girlfriend, now fiancé, has been integral to that journey as well. At the beginning, she wasn't very impressed by the whole idea of FI. <laughs> Reading a few blogs and read, uh, watching a few YouTube videos of kind of like Convisa as well. And yeah, she's she's just been absolutely phenomenal with helping me push towards that that goal so quickly. Yeah, well, okay. I had one question while you were explaining the story in uh, how much debt, because I know our two different countries, England versus US, have different expenses for university. So how much did you build up in that education? Yeah, you're 100% right. I think there'll be Americans that will hear the number I'm about to say and be like, oh, that's cute. You know, (laughs) (laughs) so the the, the way university undergrad debt in the UK works is you basically only pay off if you're employed and it comes out kind of like a tax. So it's not that bad. But with a postgrad at the time, the moment you finish your postgrad, these guys want their money back, regardless of whether you're in a job or not. So I had racked up just over £20,000 in debt with no income, and the interest on it was just under 10%, 9.9%. Wow. Yeah. yeah, the number is small, but the interest is like a lot more than you would expect here. Exactly, yeah. So this thing was growing aggressively. Yeah, because that's about $28,000, something like that, twenty-eight or so. But yeah, 10% interest is huge. Yeah. And what you got to appreciate is, so I know there'll probably be some people thinking, oh, well, why didn't you consolidate the debt and get it onto a lower interest rate? At the time, <laughs> I didn't have a job. So my credit was shot. I was deep in an overdraft as well, albeit a student overdraft, but my credit score wasn't great at the time. So the idea of just flippantly pushing this onto a lower interest rate wasn't a thing. I explored yeah. every option. It was a source of extreme, extreme fear for me. And... There were times when it affected my relationships with people because I couldn't do things. I physically couldn't do things that my yeah. friends were doing. And it sounds like you don't have, uh, you know, conveniently wealthy siblings or family members that could just wipe it out for you and said, oh, just pay <laughs> no. me back when you're 50 years old, which seems to happen a lot in American families, too. So I'm glad to hear, <laughs> you know, this is like a real struggle. Yeah, it was... Um... And look, I I completely appreciate that. There are going to be people in far more significantly worse problems than what I kind of dug myself out of. But for me at the time, with no income, I didn't have a job coming out of uni bar, the part-time job that I had while I was in uni, which basically felt like I was trying to dig a chasm with a teaspoon. And 
it felt really terrifying. I didn't have family members that could support me in that. My family's awesome. I love my family to bits, but they certainly don't have those sort of resources. Yeah. And then um, did you get a better job at some point that made it easier to pay it off more quickly? Yeah, I did. It's one of those. um, I kind of feel that the acknowledgement of the debt was kind of the first domino to fall. That domino kind of led to me pushing for a better job. Now, this job, by all intents and purposes, it wasn't even that much higher paying. But what it did do is it provided me with a career, kind of like a roadmap for getting to, you know, some sort of gap between income and spending that was more than, you know, I can treat myself to a coffee one day (laughs) if I save up for 10 months. (laughs) And um, it started making me think about, okay, I have an extra, I think it was at the time I had literally an extra £50 a month if I rigidly stuck to a really brutal Excel spreadsheet that I kind of built myself. And that £50, I was like, okay, I'm going to do something with this because that was £50 after all living costs and paying off debt. And that was where I started looking for things to do with this £50, which sounds so stupid when I think about it. But that was the first domino to fall that allowed me to start looking into this world, this world of FI and other things. Yeah. Well, great. Good story. (laughs) Now what? Yeah. Now, where are you? Now, what's going on now? You, We have Mr. Money Mustache here right now. Where do you want to go with this? <laughs> so, I mean, there's so many things. Right now, I'm in a place where I have a side hustle, quote unquote. I have this thing bringing in money every month that isn't part of my job. And I have these investments. And kind of like what I wanted to chat to you, Pete, about is like, The more real that this feels, the idea of making money that isn't from work, the more I get scared about breaking away from the day job. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain around how do you consolidate the idea of never having receiving a paycheck ever again, potentially, but also maybe having some money that comes from somewhere else and not having any fear around that. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear what you said, where the more real it gets, the more scary it gets. Because in a way, I would think that's less scary because you see your other income from YouTube or whatever sources, um, and you know what percentage of your expenses that is covering. But yeah, I would think paychecks aren't all that secure because they're at the whim of your employer or the economy or something else, you know, whereas the income you create from your own sources can often be more in your own control. So that's one thing is to maybe stop loving your paycheck so much. (laughs) And then another thing, I guess, is as your investments grow, to be really deliberate about noticing what they are generating, like remind yourself, okay, what is 4% of this amount that I have saved? Because that's how much they're really earning me over the long run, even though they go up and down over time. And like every time you have dividends, if you have any shares, uh, index funds that pay dividends, then make sure you look really carefully when you get those dividends and think, oh yeah, look, that's like six weeks of grocery money I just got, even though it reinvested, that's a real paycheck, but it's a paycheck from a more, uh, you know, a permanent source and maybe just be more mindful of that. And as the stuff grows, you'll start to not care about your regular paycheck anymore, Mm. especially when you consider the time that you're trading for that paycheck. A lot of people 
once they're getting a little bit closer to that flip over period, they realize like, wow, I'd really like to have that time back. And you know, it, the time becomes more valuable to you. The money becomes less valuable. And if you're lucky enough to have a side business, then you can already see what you'll do with that time because the business will boost up faster. So that's a way to quit the job much sooner than you have the, you know, you don't have to wait until you've saved 25% of your earnings at all. And I think I'd love to add one thing to that. Katie, my wife, has a favorite expression, it's not binary. Yeah. Because I think so many people think it's job or no job. It's employment five days a week or zero. And it's not. There are transition periods, especially if you've built up some savings and some investments. You've got some comfort level of going, well, okay, I'll go four days a week in the job, one day a week on the side hustle, and then three and then there does get to a stage where your employer goes, you only want to work two days a week. I'm not sure this works for us. Yeah. Off you go. A new employer. At some uh, <laughs> yeah. Or none. But it's not binary. It's not one or zero. It's not job or nothing. And I think lots of people think this. They think that financial independence is, I'm going to hit some magic point and never earn another dollar. Yeah. That just never happens. And then another super fun thing that it's, you're probably already noticing this and aware of it but as you go further into like adult life and postgraduate life if you are like a friendly outreachy type person then you build up this network of friends and and they're also entrepreneurial and different thinking people and we just hosted a retreat here in Colorado Alan and I and one of our speakers her name was Amberly and her talk was on social capital and all the fun opportunities that happen basically just if you're a friendly person and you meet people and take opportunities. She calls it 20 seconds of courage. And the idea is it only takes about 20 seconds of saying what you want from somebody and with somebody. And then, you know, it'll often lead to a big, nice yes. Like, would you like to rent out this beautiful part of your house to me, which you've never thought of renting out? And then you might end up with like a cheap place to live that's really fun and a new friendship from renting a place from this person. And that's just one example of a million. And we find this like in the Phi community is everybody kind of becomes friends. And that's why uh, the Donigans are staying at my house for free for <laughs> more than a week. And we're helping each other for free with our hobbies and businesses. And it just really kind of becomes a magic world. And like, that's, it's like pulling back the curtain of business and employment because all that, all that whole field is really is humans working on projects together. So it just lets you be more one of the higher up humans that gets to decide on the projects rather than working for a wage on somebody else's projects. I've certainly seen that firsthand. There's somebody that doesn't live too far away from us and their son was actually interested in calisthenics, the sort of fitness that I delve quite heavily into. And after helping his son learn how to get his first pull up, he actually came and fitted our kitchen at cost. So for what? <laughs> oh. The best part of maybe two afternoons really yeah he was like yeah if you need help getting a new kitchen i'm i'm a certified tradesman and installer and he fit our kitchen it was <laughs> one of the easiest trades i think i've ever made so you got paid like two thousand pounds per pull-up <laughs> <laughs> don't mind <laughs> but yeah I, I i think i've certainly seen that firsthand I think where I'm at with this is that there's an element of comfort that comes with my job as well. That steady paycheck, that idea that I've worked quite hard to get to that part of 
where I am in my job and separating myself from that is something that I think I'm going to struggle to get my head around. I'm working on it because I think historically I've attached too much of myself to my job in the past where actually to the point where it's become a little bit unhealthy and in fact this YouTube gig has actually done a lot to help detach me from that in that I don't feel like I'm consumed by my nine to five. I don't think I have to, you know, when people ask me what I do, I don't immediately think, oh yeah, I'm the desk jockey that commutes to London every day. And, you know, I think that's really helped me. And actually I'd encourage everyone that if they're struggling with their identity, pick something that you're crazy passionate about, even if it doesn't make money and spend a couple of hours a week working on it because it'll really make you feel great. But yeah, I completely agree with you. Is the my long-winded way of saying that. It's quite interesting about the courage piece and asking for what you want. Ambly's talk was great. It does take courage to ask for what you want or suggest ideas. And I was very fortunate. I met Pete way back in 2016 in Ecuador. And I said to you, I've always wanted to work in America. And you said, well, why don't you run an event here? And that courage of just saying, I've always wanted to do this. I still get nervous when I say what I want. I still, like, I send people messages saying, can we come and stay with you for a few days? Feel free to reject us, caveat. Like, (laughs) feel free to say no. Please feel comfortable saying no. And I say that. And I still feel nervous when I ask for things. But it's incredible what happens when you do. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's good that you got practice at it. And it's also good to put in those caveats if you're asking a favor. Yeah. Because often people will do things out of a sense of obligation and then they might resent you. And then it's kind of the opposite of a fruitful business relationship. Like, oh, great. They're asking for a room again, but I don't have the courage to say no. So uh, yeah, it's good to be balanced and always uh, make sure that there's lots of giving going along with the taking, just like your, your contractor tradesman was, you know, he was happy to exchange and help you because he felt you had helped helped him and then you'd be generous to him again. And all that stuff is, it's always good to sort of being arguing about you want to give more instead of you want to take more. And those are the best business relationships. It's like, no, I think you should take 60%. You really did more of the work. And the other person says that too. And those things always last longer and and are more happy. Which I genuinely think the reason it's worked well with my business partner, Simon, is I've always had his best interests at heart. And like, so what do you need? What do you want? And you try and help him get that. And by having that sense, I feel like he feels the same way. And he acts as if he's got my best interests in heart, which then promotes me to go like, what do you need? And how can I help you? And I think this thing of having the other people's best interests at heart and helping them as much as you can is one of these fundamental principles of give more than you take. Yeah. One question I wanted to ask, well, I've kind of got you both here as two people who have definitely gone down the FI route in very different ways. I'm starting to get to a point now where I'm very conscious of the fact that I am pushing for FI quite aggressively, but I'm also aware that like my friends and most importantly, my family have never understood this concept or, or in some cases, I've never heard of this concept. How do you guys explain it to them? Because I, I can't in my head fathom <laughs> a way of explaining this to them in a way that doesn't sound like, oh, yes, well, I've got all this money. And, <laughs> you know, I'm sat like Scrooge McDuck in my in my basement somewhere. How do you guys 
bring that across in a way that shows that, look, I'm not loaded. I've just made very different decisions to the majority of the population. Yeah, I think I, I mean, I haven't had to explain that for a long time to people because I was already retired and they already know that. But I do remember those days when I had a little idea in my head and we were working towards it. I would always just say, yeah, I'm hoping to retire um, in a few years. And uh, then they would inevitably be like, what do you mean retire? And then (laughs) then you can explain like, well, if you save up enough to live off the earnings from it, then you don't need to keep working. And then I would quickly say, it's because I don't have as much desires. You know, I don't need as fancy a lifestyle as some other people. And I'm pretty content with my whatever, you know, I would list the part of my life that I felt was pretty modest. I would always say like, I don't need a bigger house or I, you know, I have my old car or whatever, you know, I was still trying to downplay it because it was still a lot of money and it wasn't really a compromising lifestyle. It was a full on American middle-class lifestyle, fully average in like one of the richest countries in the world. So there's no really reason to apologize for it, but I think it helps to disarm people by just saying, yeah, I'm just like a lowly, non-fancy guy. Then they're ready to ask more questions if you're not showing off in some kind of super bragging way. See, the challenge for us was not doing the more extravagant things. Like, when are you going to move into a proper house? When are you going to get a bigger car? When are you going to do that? So I like, I didn't necessarily explain that stuff. It was more like explaining, well, I'm happy with my two-bedroom flat in mm. Basingstoke. I'm happy with my Skoda Citigo that is tiny. I, I'm happy with these things. I don't need more, and I'm taking that, and I'm saving and investing, and I'm looking after my future. So... Mine was more about protecting from that judgment. I did go through a big phase of just not telling anyone what I was doing, and I just did it. <laughs> and that's okay, too. Yeah, not going to share. Not, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And then eventually later on, I've gone, okay, I've done it. And then we had to explain. Yeah, people often don't care about you as much as you think, as long as you <laughs> – this is part of one of Alan's slides in his recent talk, too – it's really like just be yourself and be confident. And it's not like you're being super ridiculous. Like if you lived under a bridge with plastic bags as your house, that would be take more explaining to your family. But um, if you're, you know, you're, I see you're in an indoor space from our video. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> nice clothes I and am books. covered. <laughs> yeah, My bad. Wi-Fi is powered by a hamster. <laughs> <laughs> And what's the hamster powered by? So as an example, like my, I live on a street that's pretty average, you know, like kind of a working class street here in Longmont. And um, my neighbors probably have no idea that we are in different financial situations, but I don't go around telling them. And I, I had live roughly sort of similar to them other than the fact that I don't have to go to work and, you know, maybe I take some more exotic trips or whatever, but uh, I just don't have these desires that are much higher than surrounding people. So you just kind of blend in. Yeah. The only point that really does happen is when you do quit your full-time job, we got a few questions of, is this okay? Are you going to do this? And we had one family member that was very concerned that if we went nomadic, we'd run out of money, Like you're going to crash back to the UK within a year. You're going to run out of money. Like, have you thought this through properly? And it's out of a place of care. Like they genuinely didn't want to see us fail. And you try and explain, but then you go start talking about the 4% rule and explaining like I've saved up this and we live off 4% and like, it's just, yeah. But then a few years in, they stop asking questions because they kind of just realize, oh, they're just doing it. Yeah. You've still got your clothes. You're still 
got a place to live. And they're like, well, I'm not a money wizard, but perhaps Alan is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 100%. I don't know if I could actually get the courage to explain to my immigrant mum that I've quit my job because, like, she gains a lot of pride from, oh, yeah, I I came to this country with with nothing and now my kids have good jobs and blah, blah, blah. And then I just turn to her and be like, yeah, that wasn't for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how about you package it like this? So if you don't, is it secret or what is your your job right now or industry? So I work as essentially a consultant for a pretty big British company. Okay. Yeah. So um, I would tell like if if a relative or a mother is or whatever is not super into like understanding the individual investment stuff, I would just say like I've got a new job as an investment manager and it's my own company and it you know, so I'm managing investments. <laughs> I love Flip that. Flip the table, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Technically not a lie, and she would love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never thought of that. That's a great one. I love that. Yeah. And I think similar to you, Alan, I think any concern that she or anyone in my family would have would probably be coming from a place of concern because of that lack of understanding. But that's certainly something that I'm apprehensive about. But so far, my default has just been, yeah, I'm just going to keep quiet. But there are some things that I've certainly noticed. So you mentioned, Alan, that when you first quit your job, that that's when people started asking questions. I have always been kind of the the lower down on the economic scale compared to some of my friends. So when we initially bought a house, that threw up loads of question marks because that wasn't something people my age did. And the questions started coming. Then I started explaining things like, oh yeah, well, if I save up this much and there's this account which offers this interest rate and this area is particularly low, but it's close to this area, which allows you to earn a higher income. And these sort of questions started becoming part of the conversations I'd have with my friends. So it borderlined some of these FI conversations, but I never actually tipped it into that FI conversation because I always felt that's a line that I'd, I'd, I'd just keep it to myself for now. But I, I imagine inevitably those questions will come up. I think that's a good strategy. Like there's no rush, but it just gets easier over time. And then eventually, I mean, similar to if people have like personal, like for example, a gay person who feels their family is like not accepting of that. They will often like take years to feel okay to talk about it. But then when they finally get around to it, they, and then like, oh, well, that wasn't so bad. So like you often will imagine that your family or your loved ones or colleagues will have a bigger reaction than they do. I mean, and even in the worst case, like it's usually just someone like there'll be like one awkward dinner between the family and then they get over (laughs) it before the next dinner. Yeah. I think you want to avoid doing what Katie and I did when we first found out about financial independence and read the Mr. Money Mustache blog, which was we became evangelical and we went around (laughs) telling everyone, save your money, (laughs) stop driving nice cars, do this, invest, you just need to save this and you can retire. And we got very evangelical and we put a lot of people off. Yeah, Um, that's the bad strategy. I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've also realized that like many people are just not ready for that message. Like it's almost like one of those where it's like, 
if you live your life and then people see you're still happy despite not having the Maserati, Porsche, 10-bedroom house, whatever, then the questions start coming that they're coming on their own volition to find out rather than that evangelical aspect of like, what are you doing? (laughs) You should be saving 25% of your income. Yeah. And that's why I'm a writer instead of a personal door-to-door evangelist because (laughs) nobody wanted to hear my stuff. Even my friends, um, close friends and the family members that weren't already sort of like me, they didn't want to hear any advice from me. So I learned quickly, like, write it down or express it in some way and then let people who choose to come to you so you're not pushing it on the face and then just lead by example. And that works a lot better than trying to push anybody. I don't know. One day we need to get the Mr. Money Mustache cold calling business up and running. The cold call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you heard of Mr. Money Mustache, our Lord and Savior? <laughs> like, oh, that sounds like door. my nightmare. Hopefully it's after I'm dead. <laughs> this <ever> happens. <laughs> I just remember your podcast on, um, I think it was Choose FI, where you basically realized that you accidentally may have created a cult. <laughs> oh yeah so, yeah so yeah that that should be the next step cold calling people it's a gentle cult it's a gentle cult it's <laughs> yeah. the most fabulous cult not i've pushy, ever been in not a pushy cult yeah <laughs> um one question i had for you as well kind of more closer to home well my home calisthenics so body weight training the sort of fitness that i speak about is that something you've heard of before because i've yeah. just you have i mean here, I'm not familiar with it being called calisthenics, but it might be. But yeah. I certainly, uh, <clears throat> I like all those methods of exercise. Like I was just doing pull-ups and push-ups and dips, for example, like before this uh, uh, interview began. And nice. uh, yeah, whenever uh, it's kind of something you should always understand because when you're traveling or if you don't have a big barbell set up easily accessible to you, you should know how to stay in shape in other ways. And you should do it both, right? Like the calisthenic style should always be part of someone's training regime, even if they're also into the, you know, weight bars. Yeah, that mix is really important. I saw, um, I think, a post that you put up around um, your home gym. And I think this must have been years ago, but I think you, you posted a picture of it. It was out in the winter um, and it was just covered in snow. So, yeah, but it's, it's weird because the further I've got into this FI journey and the more I fall in love with this calisthenic stuff, the more overlaps I see. So it's extremely minimalistic training with just your body. Like you just said, if you're on holiday and you have some gymnastics rings with you or somewhere where you can just have a little bit of space to do a push-up, it brings that health and minimalist aspects together. So there's like very little excuses, very low barriers to entry. And I've slowly started noticing that more and more. And one thing I also feel I find, particularly, I'm not sure if it's the same in the US, but in the UK FI community, I don't think fitness is as high a priority. I think it's coming from that place of, I'm going to work myself into the ground and discount everything because in 10 years time, that's when I'll have time to go to the gym. That's when I'll have time to eat healthy. That's when I'll have the time to relax and do other things. And I think if there's going to be like a fitness idea attached to FI, I couldn't think of a better one. Yeah, I agree. That's the most mustachian type of fitness uh, 
to start with and make sure it's a permanent part of your everybody's portfolio. I was thinking of doing a post like that has the same title as an old post, but with different words. And I feel like it should say, what do you mean you don't do squats? Because like everybody <laughs> thinks that they can go for a walk and do some yoga and, or maybe none of those things and just watch TV. And then they think like, that's fine. You know, I'm not really into these things. And I, I wanted to kind of set the bar higher, literally and figuratively where like people should have higher standards if they're lucky enough to still have a body that's working then like, why aren't you ensuring that it will continue working? Like, it's not acceptable to just let it decay. It's like a big, it's such, such a big thing to give up when it's really, really easy and really rewarding to take care of it. So yeah, I agree that it's funny when financial independence is thinking about money more than it's thinking about health because health is more important than money. Yeah, 100%. And I think people take it for granted that if they do work themselves into the ground, even if they are going to retire early, that their body is just going to wait for them to be FI, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel it's never, like, I feel much more strict than that. Like, since I was maybe 14, I've been on a pretty regular exerciser, so I have never stopped. Like, it would be completely unacceptable to ever let that drop because everything else would have to drop before that, you know? Like, it would be the very last thing when I can no longer get out of a bed. That would be when it's time to let the fitness part slide the job and the money and all that would be less important. So yeah, it would be nice to express that better. And for, you know, I would love those ideas to sh- spread more, especially in the United States, which is famous for inactivity and health problems far too early in our lives. Yeah, I certainly find that quite sad when you got a whole load of really young, for all intents and purposes, quite wealthy people, but their health is just through the floor. It's a sad thing that I've noticed quite a lot in the FI community. Which I think ties into entrepreneurship as well. One of the things I speak to people about in entrepreneurship is your average person runs out of time before they run out of energy because they go home at night at, I don't know, whatever time, six after work, and then they maybe cook dinner and do this, and then they slump in the couch and watch television because they don't have the energy to do anything. Oh, that sounds like it's the opposite then. You're saying they run out of energy before they really run out of time. Yep. Okay. Yeah. You said the opposite, but... Did I? I totally agree. And that happens to me even, you know, like I know that I'm a morning person. So if I want to do all my smart stuff, that has to be right away. And then I can still work in the afternoon, the evening, but the challenging things are more likely to get procrastinated if I try them at 7 p.m. Yeah, definitely. And I run out of energy before I run out of time. So actually, my most valuable resource I've come to realize is energy. So if I can exercise to create more, if I can hang around people that lift me up and give me more energy, anything that gives me more energy. Yeah. And then avoid distractions that suck your energy, like social media will pull out your mental energy like a vampire by just throwing (laughs) it this way and that, this way and that. (laughs) And then even if you're in great physical health, you can still be like, oh, I just want to watch some crappy TV now because yep. you've, Facebook has destroyed your brain for the night. Yeah, I'd also throw the news into that. Like since maybe for about past four years now, I just refuse to watch the news. It was just not good for me. Oh yeah, yeah. Nobody should ever watch the watch the news ever because that's like a super foolish way. You know, have <laughs> these like plasticky, shiny faces really slowly telling you stories you don't care about, like super cute children and their kittens were crushed today by a cement truck that was accidentally left rolling. Mm. <laughs> it's really sad. You're wasting a whole bunch of time. Like, 
if anything, and people are like, well, then you're not being informed. So I would suggest like, just if you like keeping up on the world, then get a subscription to The Economist, for example, a nice British newspaper that I read to. And like you get a weekly summary that's much more to the point and summarized, and it doesn't have anything about kittens and steamrollers. And, you know, it energizes you rather than sapping your energy because you actually learn interesting stuff about life and business and politics. Yeah, we went on a media diet many years ago. And we just cut out all of the stuff that we felt was unhealthy to consume. So we cut out watching news. We cut out like as much as I could radio. I started listening to podcasts, which I felt like was a healthier consumption than radio. And I've been very, I am far stricter with my media diet than I am with my food diet, as (laughs) Pete has realized. Mm -hmm. Something that needs to change, I guess, needs to get stricter on both. But it's incredible. You see the results of your physical diet in your body, but people don't also realize you see the results of your media diet in your mental state as much as you do with the physical ones. Very much. That's the problem. It's far more insidious. And because it's far more insidious, it's harder to notice and then stop yourself or call yourself out on it when when it does start affecting your mental state. Yeah. So... It's easy to easy to fix though. Like just to close out the subject, if anyone hasn't already done this, you just take all the apps on your phone and you don't have to uninstall them if you don't want to, but just set everything to have no notifications. Like you should never get notified of anything except text messages from people you really, really care about. Not even emails. They shouldn't have notifications. And then that lets you focus on the things you care about. And uh, that's a good start. Like just starting that will fix a lot of things. And then did we cover calisthenics enough? Like that kind of blended from this to physical health to that. But if there's any other, you know, muscle and training stuff, we should also make sure you've addressed it. (laughs) Oh, no, I think that was my main question. I just felt that I couldn't have let this conversation go without kind of mentioning the crossover between calisthenics and mustachianism, because in my head, they're, they're just so, so interlinked. The ideas of minimalism, grateful longevity very low cost as well you just need what a wide open space and yeah i I just thought i had to bring it up at least once in this conversation yeah okay good (laughs) so is there anything else you would like to chat about whilst you have us both here andrew one final one actually and this is kind of again because i have you both here and i understand a little bit more of your history so alan you, the entrepreneur, you've helped loads of people with your entrepreneur entrepreneurship and has helped you get to your FIN state. Pete, you very much started your entrepreneurial stuff with like, you know, building a workspaces and building houses and all that jazz after you'd already hit FI. So after you'd already spent, I think, what was it, a decade in a nine to five? Yeah, that's right. What would you guys say are the advantages and disadvantages to either? Hmm. I think it really depends on what your how you start. Like if you've already got a job that you kind of enjoy or really enjoy and if it pays well, then you might as well keep doing that. Like so as a I was a software engineer and I that's a job I chose for myself from the beginning even since I was in high school I knew I wanted to do that. So it was rewarding and it paid well and they treat you well. So there's really no reason to like switch careers into my own business when I'm halfway through that and realizing that it's a great shortcut to financial independence. And uh, it's just, I like variety. So regardless of the money situation, I still wouldn't have done that career forever. And 
it's completely different for some people though. Like some people are stuck in a job they don't really like already, or maybe they're at the start of their money earning adult years and they're choosing what to do. And in that case, I really think the entrepreneurship should get a fair shake and you should not think about a nine to five regular job as your only option because many times it's better to go straight to your own thing. Some fields pay really poorly or they treat their employees poorly. So why even start in that field as an employee? I think if people love their job, why would you leave? Because there are some good jobs out there and there's some great employers. So if you love your job, then do it. You'll earn good money. You'll have a good journey. If you hate your job, why are you doing it? Find a new one, launch something else. I do think there's a transition element that a lot of people struggle with the transition from full-time employment to financial independence, and they don't know what to do next. And I think actually there is a role for doing a bunch of things, some exciting projects as you get towards financial independence. And you've started your YouTube channel already. You're enjoying that. You're creative. Because I think the problem occurs is when there's this sort of binary impact of, I used to have full-time employment, now I'm sat at home. Yep. Like going from one to zero, and then you're just thinking, what do I do with my life? And that's where a lot of the mental health problems and different things occur. Whereas if you're creative and you've got projects and you've been testing things along the way, you don't have any of that. You're just excited about what to do next. Big time. And the longer you do a job, because you know how the human brain kind of gets worn in like a record groove. So you're super young, Andrew. Alan and I are middle-aged, but... uh... (laughs) I'm still not ready to accept that label, Pete. Add 20 more years to that. And if you imagine that we had been doing a same job since we were 21 years old, we would just be so habitual on it that we would not even have an idea of what we would do besides this job. So it's good to challenge yourself as early as you can, as soon as you hear this message and be like, am I becoming habit bound? Have I lost my creativity? Can I easily change my life if I wanted to? And the answer should always be, Yes, on those last things. Like you should always be willing to try new things. And like if someone says, Hey, you've got to move to a new city next year, that should be like, that should light your heart up with excitement. Like, oh, really? Wow, I wonder what new opportunities would be there. Like that would be pretty neat. I'll get to meet all kinds of new people. Instead of just saying, I could never move, I'm staying in this house forever and I'm afraid of change. Yeah, 100%. I think certainly one of the things I've been um, very observant of in my FI journey is the actual ability to even be able to actually engage in some of those opportunities when they come by so if a new job comes along that might be a little bit of a stretch for me being able to take it because I'm like well you know what if it doesn't work out I've got savings or being able to support a friend who might be in need and then being able to be the sort of friend that I couldn't be when I was in tons of debt I've certainly seen these sort of opportunities come by a lot more now that I'm in a significantly better position than I was, say, for example, five, six years ago. So yeah, I completely agree. So before I'm going to ask you in a second, Pete, uh, we've got an audience of thousands of early stage entrepreneurs who are building their businesses and making things go. Uh, If you had a message of mustachianism for them, what would that be? Before I ask you that question... Andrew, what are you going to do based on this conversation about financial independence? What have your thoughts, feelings, and actions going to be? Because you know I love action. Yeah, I know. I know know you do, Alan. Always giving me homework. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I think the first thing I need to do is really understand why 
I have a fair amount of fear around the like cutting off of the paycheck. Now that I've seen my proof of concept that, you know, I can make money from somewhere that isn't my nine to five. That for me will be, I think, a really important exercise. And yeah, it's it's interesting because like I've n- never specifically down to, you know, like actual specifics modeled out my FI life. Like I've got generals, but like I've never like specifically said, okay, so this is what my life looks like. And I think it's part- partially because I'm relatively young, so a lot of my life is still subject to change. Like there might be kids in the future, there might be moving cities, like <laughs> Alan's eyebrows have just lit up. <laughs> Not in the imminent future, <laughs> but you know, there, there's all these big question marks and that's kind of always railroaded me from even doing that exercise. So I'd be really interested in just having a ballpark understanding of, yeah, um, this is how much I'd need to pull the plug. This is how much I make outside of my nine to five. What is that gap? And I'd be very interested in putting that on a, on a timeline because I actually wouldn't be surprised if it's shorter than I think. But yeah, that, that's certainly an exercise that I will be doing soon, very soon, especially off the back of this conversation. Will you report back on what you find out? I will. I will indeed. Excellent. Thank you, Andrew. Mr. Money Mustache, closing thoughts, comments, and a message of mustachianism. Hmm. I was not prepared in advance for this question, so that's a bit mean, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I tried to buy you some time by grilling Andrew first. Right. That's a good question. Good point. So I think I, think, uh, I would just put in summary, it's a little bit of what I just said, but... If you would think about the concept of stoicism, um, which I've written about on my blog before, uh, it doesn't mean the Shakespearean concept of the Stoics. What it really means is having a good attitude, even when things are going bad, mm-hmm. and then therefore they're not even going bad. You're actually just you know, seeing everything as a lesson and an opportunity instead of defining something as like, this is wrong and it shouldn't be this way. I think that's a really good way to go through entrepreneurship in life. So it's the idea of embracing voluntary hardship and even seeking it out. Like, oh, should I take my super warm car across this snowy two-mile trip to the grocery store tonight? Or should I put on my good coat and walk? And the second option is actually better, even though it's more difficult and it might even be slightly uncomfortable at a few for a few seconds of it. It leads to much better outcomes for you. And that's often true for many things, including choosing to quit your job a little earlier than you were comfortable with or move to a new place or go through the 20 seconds of courage to, to reach out to a new person. Uh, I think the idea of anytime you can find something hard and difficult in your day and then add it in, that usually makes your life better in some way. I love that. And then you get better at it as a person too. So yeah. it doesn't even seem difficult. The entrepreneurship version of that would be sending the sales email, making the phone call, putting the website out there, doing the thing that makes you feel slightly uncomfortable because that stretches you, helps you grow, helps you develop. Yeah, it is funny how it's so similar, like entrepreneurship versus my idea of mustachianism, which is making your life more efficient and fruitful. Like, should I stay on the couch and watch TV or should I do some calisthenics in the park? One of them's harder, but also way better. Um, Even like, you know, when it comes to cutting expenses, people will say, well, I need new appliances for my kitchen, for example. Do I go to the big box store and just order up all new things because that's the comfortable path? Or do I open up like the used market in the US? It's, yeah, Craigslist is worldwide as an example. And do I, you know, meet some people with Craigslist and 
figure out how to get these products that I need at like one tenth the cost. And the second one, you actually, you know, it's a lot more entrepreneurial and you get a big money reward, but you also get a life skills reward and it's harder to do it. Yeah. And I tend to find you get a lot of spillover as well. Things like, aside from the cheaper products, you might actually form a community. You know, you might actually find out that you're subsequently helping someone else as well. So there's a load of spillover that you probably don't anticipate off the back of those sort of more stoic actions. Yeah, every person, this is another quote from J.D. Roth, one of our friends, an American writer. Um, every time you meet a new person, it's like a lottery ticket. So, of course, some lottery tickets just go back in the trash. Like it wasn't <laughs> worthwhile, but uh, every so often... Quite often with people, it ends up being like opening up a lot of a jackpot and really, really great things happen from opening up this new relationship, friendship with a person or business, whatever. So yeah, make sure you open up a lot of those new lottery tickets and get more people into your life until it's very, very full. Many people have not enough new people in their lives. And with people, it comes opportunities and fun and just all the best stuff about being alive comes from having enough people in your life. So the Mr. Money Mustache blog has had a huge impact in my life, my wife, Katie's life. Andrew, it seems to have had a big impact for you as well. Pete, you've just created this new thing where people can get your most famous articles so they can sign up for the email. You've rewritten or repolished some of your favorite articles. That's the true. listeners, I would highly recommend going and signing up for this to get some of these articles. Where do they go? Uh, well, if you just go to the normal, my website, that's always been the same, mrmoneymustache.com, American spelling, or just search for Mr. Money Mustache. <laughs> you will find it. it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> all over that place, I just have a little sign up box and you can sign up. And if you look carefully, there's a thing that says bonus options. And so you can subscribe to this boot camp and it's just like a free email series. I don't try to sell you anything anywhere on my website. And then, uh, yeah, and it'll just automatically email you once a week. It's kind of like a little behavioral training thing. You'll get one article, which I flatteringly call one of the classics, and it'll work you through a series of 35, which I think are kind of the best ones, over 35-week period. So like you, you, you build habits over that much time. Yeah, that was my idea of using my new, trying to get the most out of my new fancy email service. And so far, <laughs> a lot of people have signed up for this new option, so I'm happy to see it's working. I absolutely love that. So if you're listening to this, go to mrmoneymustache.com, sign up now, get those emails. There are some fantastic ideas and thoughts. And to summarize, take the slightly harder option, push yourself outside of your comfort zone, do something that's not normal. And that is where the magic is. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rebel Entrepreneur Coaching Series. As you know, I start working with businesses sometimes a year before you even hear the first episode because you have to work with them. We record episodes two to three weeks apart. I build up the series and then I release them all in a chunk that's coming up. And I've started working with an incredible business in England. You may have heard of them before. It's Craftbox Club and we've got Adam. Adam, you're with me right now. Hello. Hello. It's good to be here. It's almost Christmas. <laughs> it's almost Christmas. So we're recording this on the 27th of October. This will be released at the end of one of the episodes coming up in November. And Adam's business, we've been working together now since August, creating his series. And it's coming up to the time of year when Craftbox subscriptions have their biggest push 
And we've just finished recording an episode, which is all about promoting and marketing your business at Christmas and coming up with ideas, which will come out next year. And I'm excited to share these episodes with you, but they're not coming till next year. So Adam and I actually had something we wanted to ask of you. But before we do that, Adam, tell us about Craftbox Club. Tell us what your business is. Tell us what you do. Great. Yeah. So Craftbox Club is the eco-friendly Craftbox subscription for adults. So customers that subscribe get a different craft kit with a video guide every month. And what have you got on for Christmas? What's coming this Christmas, Adam? So this Christmas is pretty awesome. It is a macrame star craft kit. So you get three different designs of star. One that's like a shooting star sort of rainbow design. And then two other designs, which are great for hanging on the tree. Yeah, it's cool. I love that. So we have a big Christmas promotion going on. So Adam and I actually wanted to ask you a favor. Please, would you visit the website, share it on social media and help us to promote Adam's business for Christmas? Adam, where do people go to find out about your Christmas product and what you're doing? So you can go to craftboxclub.com. That's craftboxclub.com. And you can also find us on social media at Craftbox Club UK. And then even though it's UK, we do ship worldwide. So we've got customers in California, Florida, Germany, Australia, all over the place, as well as the UK. Amazing. So if you're listening to this right now, please visit Adam's site. Please visit his social media. Help us share it. And then you will get to hear the results of this, whether it's been successful or not, in the upcoming Rebel Entrepreneur Coaching Series with Adam and Craftbox Club. So that's it. Please do do that for us and help us promote Adam's business. You didn't use the jingle bells, Adam. <laughs> Happy Christmas. See you all Happy soon. Christmas. Go out there and build your Crafty business. Happy Christmas. <laughs> You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.